This is an ABC podcast. Hi, hi, over here, over here. Squish in here, I saved you a spot. Did you bring your vagina? Awesome. It's really the female entry to the outside world. It actually has a very major role in our biology and our function as a woman. Sex, babies, periods, discharge, our vaginas give us so much. But they do even more, way more than you think. Many women won't know how their vaginas feel. It's not something to be shameful of. It's something to actually be proud of. Totally. So, ladies, consider this episode your vagina's personal pride march and you and I shall march side by side. The next 20-something minutes are dedicated purely to the amazing wonderfulness of the vagina because even though our vaginas do so much and we carry them around with us everywhere, do you really know the power and mysterious capabilities of your vagina? What I do know is we're told... Our vaginas are shameful. Right, get up on the bench, take your knickers off and spread your legs. I just stood there and froze. We're told that our vaginas are embarrassing. I wasn't really comfortable with it to start with, but, you know, thought it was just a a kind of a bit of a party trick, not an actual thing that happened to everyday people. And despite their superpowers, sometimes our vaginas are just plain ignored. If it was a guy's penis, we would have been looking at this a lot longer and a lot more seriously. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about the secret life of our vaginas. Before we go too deep into vaginas, let's get something clear. We English speakers make a common mistake calling our vulva vagina all the time. Vulvas and vaginas are not interchangeable. A vulva is basically your external female genitalia. If you want to get things even clearer, we did do an episode on this in season one called You Say Vulva, I Say Vagina. For this episode, we're just talking about the vagina, which is simply a tube connecting to the outside world. It's a place where tampons go, a tunnel that babies come out of, and it's a place we can have sex in. It's Latin for the word sheath, and I will personally give you 30 bucks if you knew that our vaginas are ribbed inside with these structures called rugi. It contains like a skin on the inside and then behind that the tissues we can't see are muscles and other blood vessels and all those sorts of other tissues. That's Dr Elizabeth Farrell. She's a gynaecologist and medical director of Jean Hales, a women's health medical organisation. It's a fibromuscular uh, passageway. It's very flexible. It obviously stretches enormously to allow a baby through it. And then it goes back to relatively normal positions that it was pre-pregnancy. It is an extraordinary part of our body. But how well do you know your vagina? Many women won't know how their vaginas feel. And I think that being happy with your body means that you're able to touch your body and that it's not something to be shameful of. It's something 
to actually be proud of. I've heard that said before, but do you know what I've seen? I've seen grown adults flinch at the sight of a vagina. I've seen woke women wince at the thought of touching themselves. Even just the word vagina can be enough to make some people recoil. Yes, we know we're meant to be body positive, especially around our private parts. But the fact is, when the world at large starts a dialogue about our vaginas, it's usually accompanied by words like germs, censorship, purity and cleanliness. We all know, or at least you'd know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that douches, feminine wipes and vaginal deodorants aren't necessary. And according to Dr Elizabeth, the fact that vaginal wellness exists is having an impact. I think that both the wellness industry and porn have had a major detrimental effect on how we see ourselves as women. We have pubic hair, and the pubic hair has a function of protecting the vaginal entrance. We have millions and millions of bacteria in our vaginas that provide a cleaning process to make our vaginas healthy and well. We don't need the wellness industry. We don't need douches. We don't need extra things to put in our vaginas, stick on our outside around our vulvas. Doctor, because you've been seeing women in this very intimate way for so long, I think you've got an insight that the rest of us don't. So, you know, I've, I've seen these cultural things come through, like the vagina monologues. In the year 2000s, we had the vagina wall at Mona. Does any of that... Which was the vulva wall. It was. The, you're right. It was the vulva wall, but we all called it the vagina wall and the vagina soaps that you could buy at the gift shop. So yes. in your experience, have these public art projects changed anything for women? It has for a small percentage of women. Those women who would go to an art gallery, but then... What percentage of our population go to art galleries? And how many other women don't do those sorts of things whose bodies are treated poorly or who feel they're not worthy to have their bodies talked about or to even complain about how they function? I just feel that it's just one of those conversations that's not not had for obvious reasons. We don't even think about it. <laughs> I certainly didn't. This is Louise, which isn't her real name. She's 56 and for more than 40 years she had no idea what was happening with her vagina. As a teenager, all she knew was her periods were blackout painful and using tampons didn't work. So her mum took her to a gynaecologist. The only thing I really remember about it was walking in and him just saying, right, get up on the bench, take your knickers off and spread your legs. I just stood there and froze and he said, oh, for God's sake, I do this every day. And mum looked at him and said, well, she doesn't. Mm. We came out of that with not many answers. He just said everything was normal, everything was fine and maybe I needed to change tampons more regularly. And I said, I don't think that's the problem. And then from there, we changed to another doctor who was really good, our, a really good family doctor. And he suggested that I went and had an ultrasound and have a look. They found endometriosis. So I went in to have 
my first operation for endometriosis from there, but nothing was changing from the, the point that tampons weren't working with me at that stage. And pain as well? Oh, yeah. Pain was just sort of the normal. That was just how it was. Louise, tell me about sex when you first started having sex. It was just really, really painful. Really, like, out of out of the ballpark painful. And I was with somebody that I really, really liked and, and wanted to be there. But it just really, really hurt. And I, at that stage, put it down to the fact that it was your first time and that, you know, this would go away. And did that happen? No, no, it didn't. I eventually went to another gynaecologist and I was telling him about that and he said, I think it's all in your head, you, you need to go and see a psychiatrist. It was just frustrating because I was pretty sure it wasn't in my head but then I was starting to doubt myself as well. Can I interrupt here? There's a culture of women not being taken seriously when they complain about pain. For instance, women who are in pain are more likely than men to be prescribed a sedative or even an antidepressant rather than, you know, actual pain medication for what they're going through. In Louise's case, she's lived most of her life in pain without an explanation. Three years ago, she finally got to the cause. Uh, yeah, my girlfriend said to me, I've got a really good gynaecologist. Why don't you go and see her? I said, oh, if I have one more gynaecologist, seriously. So I thought, OK, I've got nothing to lose. So I, I went there. She said, had I had kids? And I said, no. And she said to me, well, I know it might seem unusual, but I don't think your hymen's broken. I just looked at her sort of with a bit of shock. And I said, well, why hasn't anyone noticed that before? Because my pap smears were painful. Everything was really, really painful. I'd had another lot of endometriosis in the meantime that had been operated on. I said, how can they just not see that? And I said, I had an ultrasound a couple of years ago and the girl doing the ultrasound said something about, did I want to have children because she thought it would be unlikely because I had two passages or something or other and I didn't know what she was talking about and my gynaecologist said, could I hop back up and have a look again? And I said, okay. And when I hopped down, that was when she said, ah, I see what it is, was that I was born with two of everything. So what do you mean two of everything? So I actually have two cervixes, a double uterus. There's different types of it, but I also do have two vaginas. So I have yeah, double of everything, except I don't have two ovaries. Can I ask a really nitty-gritty question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm shy. You've made me shy. Okay, so if you've got two vaginas... Yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't exploring down there with your fingers reveal that? You would think that. With, with the condition that I have, you can be born with them either side by side or back to front, as in your stomach side and your back side. So you can either go side by side or the other way. I've got side by side. So left and right sort of thing. Yeah. The thing is that you don't feel it, but you feel pain. And that's why sometimes when I was having pap smears and that, I'd absolutely hit the roof because they'd gone up the one that was hardly ever used. Oh, so you favoured one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. One was obviously easier. Yep. And one wasn't. It's yes. incredible that nobody <laughs> picked that up before. At the time, I was both angry and relieved because I suddenly found out what was happening. And I, I realised that I wasn't 
going stupid or it wasn't all in my head or I wasn't, you know. And I just got so frustrated because I thought to myself, you know, it really did change the course of my life over the years. It's not like I didn't go to gynaecologists and say what the problem was and could we please check this out. And I do remember at a very young age when, because I wanted to swim and couldn't train fully, and I just remember actually yelling at one of the gynaecologists out of frustration, saying in innocence, it's like I've got two of them. You're kidding. No, because it was just that frustration of not, not knowing and wanting a solution to the issue. You're partnered at the moment. Yes, I am. You've got a husband. What was his response when he found out? <laughs> Bless his cotton socks. He was lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> we actually had a bit of a laugh because he, you know, he he's really, really a lovely man. And uh, he said to me when I came home from the appointment, which was during the day, he said, so how'd it go? Do you want to have a chat? And I said, oh, look, I think this one's for after work with a glass of wine, really. <laughs> and he said, okay. <laughs> And so work actually finished earlier that day because he came down and said, right, come on, let's just finish work and start. And so I grabbed a wine. I just sat there and I told him and he just looked at me with a blank face and he said, I I don't get it. And I said, there's two of everything. And so we sat there and we discussed it. I mean, we had a lot of laughs at the same time, you know. (laughs) But he was really, really good. And the next morning and we're getting ready for work, he gets out the shower and I said, hmm, you're half the man I need, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And we were just laughing, you know. So he's been really supportive, really good. So after 40 years of unexplained pain, Louise finally understood what was going on. Louise has uterus didelphus, which is rare and something you're born with. If it was a guy's penis, we would have been looking at this a lot longer and a lot more seriously. Yeah, if you had had a double penis, you would have been yeah. front page news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we would have made you Prime Minister. <laughs> One of the amazing things a vagina can do is help a human baby enter the world. The thing is, when this happens, a lot of women wonder if their vaginas have been stretched beyond repair. Well, that's why we're here. Do vaginas change after giving birth vaginally? Dr Elizabeth Farrell says, yes, in fact, they do. Of course, it has been stretched by the birth process and it's unique. How it goes back to normal really depends probably on the stretchability of individual tissues. And there seem to be some women who are more prone for the vaginal tissues to stretch and not necessarily to go back to what they were. The vagina, of course, stretches with intercourse. Just having regular sex, having regular intercourse then the vagina will stretch somewhat to accommodate the size of the partner's penis. And that obviously is unique in a sense too because there are all different sizes of penises as well. The vagina will start to stretch with intercourse, but then after birth it's variable. It can be quite wide. I've I've seen one uh, woman who had had eight or nine children and her vagina could have been someone who'd had one or no children at all, whereas other women will have quite stretchy tissues and it may lead to prolapse because the tissues have been overstretched 
and haven't gone back to the normal size. Is that just a random thing, Dr Elizabeth, or is there some way that your body does get more stretched during childbirth? I think it's got to do with with your genetic makeup. We will see some families where maybe mother or grandmother or aunts have had prolapse surgery and they may in fact have connective tissue that tends to be more stretchy and doesn't spring back, as it were, after childbirth in the same way that other women might. Besides prolapse, there are a few other things that are kind of minor bummers. Basically, as we get older and our estrogen levels decline as we head towards menopause, your vagina can get thinner, drier, less plump, less elastic, and interestingly, not as pink as it once was. There are some solutions, though. For a less juicy vagina, personal lubricants can help, as can estrogen creams or tablets. But I'm not a doctor, so head to yours for the best advice. We've actually also done a whole episode on this stuff in our perimenopause episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Okay, time to get back to our Vagina Pride March. And we're coming up to a really good bit because, of course... It's not an episode of Ladies We Need to Talk if we haven't done a little bit about sex. It's always my husband that gets up and gets the towel, so he's he's the one that's preparing just in case something does happen. This is Deanna. She's a mum of two and she's been married for about 20 years. Yeah, we're doing some foreplay. He's going down on me. He's using his fingers. He's gone inside me and he's stimulating my G-spot. This gets me really excited, obviously, and I can feel the pressure building in my pelvic area. So my hips feel a bit of pressure for the front of my pubic bone. The excitement's building. He knows that the the time of orgasm is is imminent, so he's waiting for my signal. I'll either tell him to, you know, keep going, and then when the point that I feel like I'm going to orgasm, I will tell him to get out, and it's normally an out, out, out type thing, and. He removed his fingers and I orgasmed. And with the orgasm comes a stream of liquid that this time didn't go too far. It was only maybe 10 centimetres or so, but it's a definite stream. And yeah, the orgasm is very intense and feels really good. And then he, my husband goes in for a second time. So, you know, I can orgasm multiply like this. And so he'll stimulate my G-spot again and I'll be getting more and more excited and within a minute or so, I'm ready to orgasm again. So I'll tell him to get out. And again, liquid is expelled from my body when I'm orgasming. And the second time around, the liquid isn't quite as much. So it's more of a trickle this time. Yeah, that's basically how it happens when we have sex. Deanna only started squirting in her 40s. There's actually not a lot known about how common squirting is, but what we do know is that the fluid comes out of a small gland, the skein's gland, which is super close to the vaginal opening. If you want to get technical about it, that gland is located on the anterior wall of the vagina. Deanna says that she and her husband love delving into what squirting means for their sex lives. Absolutely. And we're actually really good with that. You know, we don't tend to get in a rut and we experiment quite a lot. But this was just way out of my comfort zone. And I was thinking, you know, this is quite bizarre. And yeah, I wasn't really comfortable with it to start with. Yeah, maybe it's just a phase. Maybe it will come and go like other things have in my sex life as well. And your husband, tell me what, how he reacted that first time. 
the first time he was a little bit shocked actually and <laughs> and I was too and I was like did that just happen and and he's like yeah I'm not sure what was going on there very supportive actually and we got to the point where we thought well maybe we can kind of play with this a little bit and try and make it work to our advantage we did some experimenting where I would drink a lot of water just to see how much water would be expelled and I was actually quite shocked that I was <laughs> I because it comes out with some force. Does it? So it, it does and it only it only happens when you're orgasming at that that point. This time when I drank quite a lot of water, I managed to uh, squirt about a meter from my body, which was very surprising. I mean it doesn't happen every time I orgasm. It's probably about uh, eight times out of 10. But it adds to the enjoyment. So I figure, well, why not? I think one of the reasons it's so interesting to talk to you is because squirting is kind of like the holy grail of female orgasms. But a lot of us don't even know if it's a real thing or a gimmicky sort of thing that happens in porn. Yeah. And I was like that as well. I was thinking, you know, this can't be real. Surely this is just a, a porn thing. Surely they've just put water up their vaginas and they're squirting that out <laughs> on command type thing. I probably wouldn't have explored it if it hadn't happened kind of accidentally. Since it's been happening to me, I have done some reading and some research and, yeah, lots of women have said that that's the ultimate. That's what they want to achieve when they're having sex. And, yeah, I was like, well, it's kind of just fallen in my lap. I didn't plan for this to happen and it just happens now. So I just have to kind of go with it. Well, it's shot out of your lap rather than Pretty fallen. much. <laughs> What's the liquid like? It's quite slimy. So it's liquid but there's some viscosity to it as well. So if you're rubbing it between your fingers, it just seems a little bit slimy. And my husband has been going down on me while this has happened as well and he said that the liquid is actually quite sweet. He said it's quite a novel experience for him being on the uh, the other end when someone's coming in his mouth, except, uh, apart from the other way around. He really enjoys it happening. He finds it really exciting for him as well. Have you ever talked to your doctor or your you gynecologist about it? No, I haven't. And that's the weird thing because I'm talking to you now and it's on a, <laughs> a podcast. Because of the stigma, I suppose, behind it, it's not something that I've really talked about with anybody. You know, to start with, I was really self-conscious about it and thinking, I don't know if I want this to keep happening, but there was nothing really I could do to stop it. So I thought, well, I may as well embrace it and just make the most of it. And it actually increases my enjoyment in sex. So I figure, well, let's just roll with it and see if we can have a bit of fun with it, really. I used to work with a guy who had been in a band and they he had sex with lots of people while he was in his band. Mm. And one of them had a squirting orgasm, one of his partners, and he was so proud of it. He told me about it years <laughs> later. <laughs> I heard all about this one time. It must be tempting to talk about it. It is because I'd want to know if anyone else is experiencing this, and obviously there are, but, you know, whether my friends are experiencing this, I'm quite out there in terms of talking about my sex life with friends, but I find that my friends aren't always going to reciprocate that. So I feel like maybe I'm sharing too much and they don't really want to know about that side of my life if they're not sharing that side of their life with me, which is totally cool. You know, they're entitled to keep that private. That's no problems. So I haven't really spoken to uh, many of my friends about this. This wouldn't be a very comprehensive Vagina Pride March, nor would it be inclusive had we not mentioned something I personally find wonderful. 
It's time, my friends, to talk fanny farts. This is Deanna again, who may just have the world's most wonderful and adventurous vagina. Any time my bum is above my head and then I write myself up again, there'll be a fanny fart. Absolutely no question. Is this during sex or just any old time? Any old time. It does happen during sex. Things like yoga, some of the yoga poses, you know, when you're upside down and then you write yourself up, then there'd always be a fanny fart coming out there, which was quite embarrassing when you're in classes. So I kind of stopped doing those classes. You quit yoga because of fanny farts? I did. Yeah. I kind of went to Pilates instead when you're not upside down quite so much. But even when I was a kid, you know, you do handstand competitions when you're 10 years old, then you'd you'd write yourself up and there would be a fanny fart. And I <laughs> I would know that it was it was a fanny fart, but you can't explain that to 10-year-old girls. You can't say, oh, it's coming from my fanny rather than from my bum. So I would just say, oh, sorry, I just farted, you know. It was a funny thing. But inside I was thinking, air's not supposed to come from that hole. What's going on? <laughs> So, yeah, it was quite embarrassing at times. You seem pretty comfortable with sex and talking about it, so I feel comfortable to ask you this. When you're having sex and you know that there's going to be a fanny fart, how do you deal with it with your partner? I just let it rip, really. <laughs> I mean, you can't really say, oh, just hang on a minute, this is going to happen. It's just, <laughs> it's just part of sex. See how fun vaginas are? I mean... What's not to love about a good fanny fart? They're totally underrated. So let's give it up for our vaginas and all the amazing, wonderful and surprising things they can do. Ah, I feel exhausted, but now that our vaginas are feeling adequately celebrated, juicy and adored, I have some news. This is actually our last episode for Season 4 of Ladies We Need To Talk. I know, it's like the worst news since you learnt the term vaginal atrophy. But don't be too sad, okay? Because I bet, even if you're a super dedicated ladies podcast subscriber, chances are you might have missed a few episodes. We have covered everything from painful sex, your hormones, infidelity, choosing to be child-free, the mental load, toxic mums, your boobs. Name an issue facing women and chances are we've looked at it. So go through our back catalogue, please, and check out all the episodes of Ladies We Need to Talk. And hey, if you're a mum, go and check out Maggie Dent's podcast. It's called Parental as Anything. On it, you'll find heaps of good stuff about how you can talk to your kids about things like sex and puberty. And there's also a great episode on how you can help your teenagers have healthy relationships. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. If you have any feedback or thoughts on this or any other episode, we are very welcoming. Our number is 1300 641 222 or you can send an email to us, ladies at abc.net.au. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steeth and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. <laughs>